Lambert und Karl-Heinz Riedle 1 zu 0 für Borussia Dortmund. meine Damen und Herren. Welcome back to another German football podcast. Um, we're back with a bit of a special one today, but before we introduce our special guest, just to say hi to the guys first. So, Ronan, how are you doing, mate? You doing good? Just on your work break at the moment as well. I am, yeah, making the most of my, my lunch hour, so good to be here. And Colin, how are you doing yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I had took a half day at work, so finished <laughs> up at half eleven. Happy to join. Not too bad, not too bad. And I suppose we better introduce our uh, special guest then. So it's the, the legend that is Derek Ray. How are you doing, Derek? You, you're well over in the States? I'm very well, thanks, Roy, Colin and Ronan. Yes, it's a new dawn, a new day, actually, here in the USA yeah. with the new president coming into office, Joe Biden. So, yeah, it is an historic day. No two ways about that over here. Definitely. So... I think um, may as well just jump straight into and getting into the whole German football, Scottish football link. So, Derek, obviously you've got a, a huge ties to the German game and obviously being from Aberdeen yourself. Just how did that sort of come around for you? Um, what can I introduce you to German football? Was it when you first moved to Germany like, or was it before then? It was actually long before then. I would go back to 1974. I was seven years of age at the time. And as you'll all know, the World Cup in 1974 was held in West Germany at the time. And it's funny, I grew up at a time when uh, I didn't think of one Germany. I thought of two Germanys because that was my era. You know, we had the West and we had the East and sort of never the twain shall meet. But um, 74 World Cup was one that I completely immersed as a youngster. And at that same time, my parents had just bought our very first recording device, uh, a stereo cassette recorder. Uh, and you guys will be thinking, what the devil is a stereo cassette recorder? What could that possibly look like? Uh, well, it was a revolutionary device at the time, because prior to that, there'd be no way to record your voice on tape. So I used to play around with it. And as I said, I was obsessed with this World Cup and sort of obsessed with Germany and the geography of it. And, you know, I kept sort of, pestering my parents, asking them questions about the different venues. You know, where was Munich? What was, uh, what was Berlin? What was uh, Frankfurt all about? Gelsenkirchen, all these places. And it so happened that a couple of years after that, and it probably was the same for, for your generation, uh, you either were in a class that studied German or French. Now, this happened when I was nine at a primary school in Aberdeen, Erie Hall Primary School. And it just happened that I was in the German class. Now, I have to say that had I been in the French class, I probably would have asked to go to the German class because I still had all this sort of um, uh, Germanic stuff going on in my head and, and I started reading a lot about Germany and found that the, the language really spoke to me. And, and as I say, part of it was possibly my own interest in it. But it was always my best subject at school. It was always the thing that I spent a lot of time on. And then... Not long after that, I was a bit of a radio anorak, uh, you might say. I, living in Aberdeen, realized that you could actually at night um, fiddle around the, the dial on the, on the medium wave radios and get radio from NDR in Hamburg. 
And so I, you know, began listening to that. And at first it was music and news and then realized to my delight that you could actually listen to the Bundesliga on NDR as well, that the Konferenzschaltung, as it was known back then, still around, of course, to this day, um, was something that you could take in. So, you know, at the age of sort of, you know, 12, 13, when other, you know, kids were, I don't know what they were doing at 12 or 13, I was having this, this exciting life at home, um, tuning in my radio to NDR to listen to, there was a program called Berichte von Heute that was on every night, still on every night, I actually still listen to it to this yeah. day, at 11.30 German time in the evening. And um, I would often have that on, it would have news and, and it would end usually with sport. And then I would fall asleep to uh, Das Nachtprogramm der ARD, which was the, um, the, the, the night program, which was news and chat and things like that. And I think my parents would often sort of come in the middle of the night and switch off the, the radio because it was annoying them because they could, <laughs> they could hear it from all corners of the house. But that's really how it was born with me. And um, as I say, uh, you know, German was my best and favorite subject. Went on to study it at Aberdeen University. But um, you know, at the same time, I was becoming a football commentator on an amateur level and recording my voice on tape. And that's a different story in itself, which would probably take uh, far too long to explain to you. But the, the gist of it is that my hero, David Francie, uh, who was the radio commentator on the BBC at the time and you know, wonderful communicator, he took the time to essentially help me and to uh, he realized I, I had a passion for, for that. And ultimately, I got my big break with the BBC at 19. Thanks in no small measure to him, to my hero, David Francie, because he um, took one of my tapes, which I had sent to him, gave it to his bosses at the BBC, and I got my first big break my start at 19 but the German side of it has always been there uh, in the early years it was kind of more of a hobby side so it was you know if, if a Scottish team faced a German team then I was you know in my element because then I felt I was able to impart information that nobody else could because these were pre-internet days you know nobody could look things up it was all about your contacts and who you could call uh, and um, it's really only in the last, I would say, the last decade, 10, 15 years that I've been able to, to use this knowledge and passion for German language and German football more on a professional level. I was always able to dip in and out of it. But um, when I moved back to the UK in 2009 from the US, I'd been working for ESPN for a good number of years here in the USA. Then they said to me, in addition to doing Scottish football, would you like to do the Bundesliga and Serie A and I said well, absolutely of course and I think I have something to offer on that and then that sort of grew um, into my years with BT Sports when I worked for them uh, I left in 2017 to come back to the USA but prior to that I'd also established a relationship with the Bundesliga itself and their world feeds uh, in English and they learned that I had a real interest in being part of that so we've teamed up in recent years doing that. And, and I would say now it's of all the sort of the week to week assignments, it's the one that's, um, that's most important to me personally. So I, I work a lot for the, the Bundesliga's World Feed as one of the English language commentators broadcasting around the world. So that if the game is picked up by a particular country, it comes with English commentary. Sadly on BT Sport, they rarely take the World Feed. It, it's yeah. one of these things. They, they like to put their own commentators in a studio in London over the top of it for promotional reasons, um, which personally I think is a shame because I think the, the World Feed commentary does give a different dimension. It stands to reason if you put people who are 
um, dealing with German football every day on commentary, it's going to sound better than somebody who's just thrown in at the last minute and is maybe doing six other leagues. But I understand at the same time why uh, companies like BT Sport do that. So, um, so that's really the sort of the, the abbreviated version of it all. But um, suffice it to say, yeah, I'm a Scot. I'm a proud Scot, but uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a Germanophile as well. And uh, it would be wrong of me not to, to say that. I mean, German language, um, German culture, German football is um, at the very sort of essence of, of who I am as a, a human being. I think. Oh, definitely. I feel like I'm sort of trying to follow that path as well. Somehow, obviously, being in Köln and similar sort yeah. of roots. Um, but just when you're talking about NDR, obviously, we know your kind of allegiances to clubs just now. But back when you were listening to the conference, did you did you pick a team at all? Or did you just, were you just enjoying the full league at that time? Uh, it, it actually sort of fluctuated early on. Um, I, I know where you're going with this, because obviously, people know that I, I do have a um, a sympathy, let's say, with uh, with a certain team in, in your part of the country, with with Köln, and um, that, of course, was around the time when uh, FC would would have you would have said they were in the conversation most seasons with regard to who would win the title. You know, we're talking late seventies. You know, won the title in seventy eight. We're, we're, we're talking that period, and you know, so so understandably there was an attraction there, but I sort of. Uh, I would say early on, it wasn't necessarily one team. It was more the league and the the excitement of being able to listen to a commentary in German and understand every word of it. You know, I mean, that, this was the, for a young person to be able to do that. And I remember I would invite friends to the house and they would say, how can you how can you understand any of that? I said, well, because I, I speak German and I, and I love it. And, and, and I learn more every time I, I listen. Um, but no, I mean, you had Hamburg at that time who, who were quite an attraction themselves. I mean, they were the the best team in Europe, you well, certainly officially in 1983. Aberdeen probably would argue that because um, they, they beat Hamburg in the uh, Super Cup in what was actually 84, but it was related to the 83 season. But they were a terrific side back then. Um, Bayern, obviously, always there, always in the discussion. Um, but, you know, I think I probably always I had the strange thing with Bayern back then. I, I, I wanted them to do very well in Europe, and I still have that feeling about them. But on the domestic front, I was quite happy when somebody else beat them because it, it just seemed to make for a better story. You know, I remember one night listening to Zabrücken when they were in the, uh, in the Bundesliga, taking a point from Bayern early in the season and thinking about, you know, how wonderful that was. You know, it was, this, this would have been mid-80s. But... Um, yeah, I, I, there was not one side. I just really was fascinated with the the whole um, you know study and the whole feel of German football. When I, when I went to Germany to spend more time, and I went in a I went to a, a place called Wildtek uh, Oberzul, um, which is right on the the border of the two Germanys. So again, this you got to sort of go back to the period, and you guys are of a different generation. I grew up with this feeling of you know, to use the German expression, die Grenze im Kopf, you know, I had the border in my head. Because where I studied was, when I say right on the border, I'm talking about, you know, 20 meters from the border. And you could see, you know, from the place I was staying, you could see the border guards on the other side, looking over to the west with the binoculars and everything. So it was all sort of very mysterious. Um, and it's made me, to be honest, to this day, very suspicious of walls and fences and things like that, because uh, I, I lived that you know, for a while and experienced that. But 
the local team that there, there weren't that many local teams in the area because it's you know quite sort of apart from everywhere else we're talking you know northeastern hessen nowadays um the border with thuringen you know it's not a heavily populated part of germany so there wasn't a bundesliga team really within you know two and a half hours by train of of Wildeck. so um i went into kassel uh, which is the nearest big city, because they had a very good second division team at the time, Kaisfau, Hessen, Kassel. And they kind of became my team. And I would say that they probably still are my team, even though they've, you know, since then they've gone up and down the divisions and they've had the serious financial problems. But um, they were the team that I really liked back then because, you know, they were the team I, I saw most of in stadium. And, you know, maybe six, 7,000 people would go. And they really should have been promoted a couple of times in the 1980s, but didn't quite make it. It was, if you go back and look at the history, you'll see that they, they came exceptionally close, especially season, what would it have been, 80, we're thinking 84, 85 or 85, 86, one of those two anyway. And um, yeah, so, so that was kind of my introduction to, you know, the, the Zweite Liga. Uh, but I would watch everything. I'd watch, you know, amateur football in the villages, in the village where I was. Uh, I'd, I'd watch anything up and down the divisions. And, you know, I, I did jump on the train and I would go to Dortmund and I would go to Frankfurt and I would go to Köln and I'd go to Hamburg. You know, it, that's the one thing about Germany, as you know. Um, and even back then, you could relatively simply jump on trains and, and be in seemingly a different world two or three hours later. I talk about Cas Val. Um, are you happy to see them back in, you know, Regional? Well, I say back in Regional League, obviously, the new system, but they're in the Regional League at the moment. Would you like to see them try and push up into Dirtha League eventually and um, see where they go with that then? Oh, it would be great. And, and if they were to do that, I would make a point of going back. And I, I haven't been back for a long time, but I'm in communication with some of the journalists who work there and, and also some people who are part of the, the team set up. And I think they think it's a bit strange that this um, Scottish commentator who's who, you know, reasonably well known around the world for, for some of the things that he does um, should, should have a, an affinity with, with Cas Falhessen and Kassel because um, that, that would be a bit odd. But as I say, it wasn't so odd in the 80s because they were, you know, they weren't a huge club, but they were a club seemingly going places at the time. And yeah, that, it, it would be wonderful if that were to happen. Yeah, obviously just um, when you talk about Hessen Castle as well, say in Scottish football, a lot of people really like kind of old school stadiums that have kind of a lot of kind of culture and a bit of character about it. Is that something that stands out to you in German football as well when you see like the, a lot of the terracing that still stays there? Is that something that, that you like and kind of stands out to you sort of way? Yeah, although I think what I would say to that, Ronan, is it, it was quite interesting to compare and contrast because back then, yes, you had these, you know, old style stadia, but the terracing wasn't sort of a, an, an add-on, you know, an add-on that, that people were attracted to. It was basically the whole stadium, or it seemed like the whole stadium. And the same was true in Scotland. I, I was actually looking at some pictures recently of um, stadia in Scotland that I worked at, and I didn't realize, you know, because you don't think about it at the time, I didn't realize the extent to which they essentially were just, you know, vast swathes of terracing with a kind of a main stand almost sort of tacked on. And I'm thinking about places like Love Street, St. Mirren, or even Fir Hill or, or Fir Park. You know, if you go back and it's a great exercise, go and look at some old pictures from the 70s and 80s of these places. And they really just were standing areas, you know, and, and that's what you did as a young person. You just turned up with your 
your father and you you watch the you know you plonk yourself down on the terracing and you watch the game um so when I first went to the Auerstadion, which was the home of, of Karl Hessen Kassel, that's what I did. I walked onto the terracing and I immediately made friends. Uh, that was the one thing I, I recall about it. Uh, I just sort of, you know, as you did, you're very close to everybody else and you heard the conversation going on. And of course, I was at that time really keen to speak German to everybody and listen to it as well and the different dialects. And, and, and that's what I did. Um, but I, to go back to your point, I, I would agree. I think that having... Um, terracing in German venues is an intrinsic part of what makes it appealing uh, also to people from other countries. It's the one thing I hear from Scots or English people or, or people from Ireland or Wales who, who make the, the journey to Germany uh, in normal times, of course. Right now, we're not doing that. Um, but in normal times, you know, people say, yeah, I, I like this ability to to just kind of be, to just, you know, to, to, to not have it be a corporate experience at all, but just to you know, walk onto the, the terracing and, and watch the game. And I do that myself. I am, um, even though I obviously when I'm broadcasting, I'm, I'm broadcasting from a central position and I'm seated and I've got my broadcasting equipment around me. But I always make a point when I'm in Germany of uh, looking at what the, 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 the master plan is and say if I have a game in, in Dortmund on a Saturday, I'll look and see where Bochum are, you know, on a Friday or a Sunday. And I'll go to Bochum. It's probably the one I go to most regularly because of the ease of geography, because it's obviously quite close to, to Dusseldorf Airport, not that far, an hour or so. And um, I always buy a ticket for the terracing, for the Ostkurve. And, and that's where I, I go, and on my own, usually. And I just find it an incredible um, human study. <laughs> Let's say. Plus, they have probably the best Currywurst anywhere in in Germany at football grounds, so that's an advantage too. But no, I think the terracing is a big attraction, and, and certainly in the 80s, there weren't many grounds. Funnily enough, funnily enough coming from Aberdeen, I actually came from um, from a place that, that unusually had a stadium with no terrace. They did away with their terracing in the late 70s, early 80s. Actually, early 80s it would have been. They just felt that was the moving with the times. But it's interesting now in Scotland, you're hearing a lot of people saying, we need to go back to having some form of standing. And of course, Celtic already do. It's interesting, I think, because uh, you're talking about Scottish grounds. A lot of them used to be like that. But mm. myself, I'm a United fan. So Somerset Park has never really changed in that time. No, no. We're still living in that. And I think that's, I see that as a good thing. Like, I'm glad we never got one of the new stadiums in like the 90s and 2000s when a lot of clubs were doing that. And it's something I could relate to when I went to German football for the first time because the first match I went to was actually at Babelsberg. And oh, I know yes. you've been there, been there yourself. Yes. One of my favourites. And yeah, it was a brilliant experience, but I thought it just seemed like standing there was like standing in an updated version of Somerset Park almost because, similar to Somerset, it's three sides of terrace and, and a main stand. So I thought that was something I could really relate to. Um, mm, that I think yeah. it's something that Scottish fans could enjoy because a lot tend to enjoy going to Somerset because it's sort of like taking a step back in time so I think similarly in German football I was just wondering in your time travelling across grounds in Germany what your favourite grounds are obviously I'm sure you enjoy going to the Rhein Energy Stadium and you mentioned Bochum as well 
Are there any particular stadiums across the leagues that you enjoy going to the most? Yeah, I mean, obviously those two for, for various reasons. Um, you know, uh, when you go to Müngersdorf, as everybody calls the, uh, the stadium in Köln, although, as you say officially, the Rhein-Energiestadion, you're aware that you're part of a community, something much bigger. And, you know, you walk past that stadion sign. It's just sort of a ritual. It's, it's a rite of passage. And it, it's actually a stadium. I was talking to some of the people at the club when last I was there uh, before the pandemic. And they were saying that the stadium actually does need to be upgraded a bit on the inside. It's, it's actually quite basic. If you ever, if you ever go into the, sort of the inner sanctum, it, it's, um, it, it does need to, to have a little bit of a, a refit. But it, it is a wonderful venue and the acoustics are great and the the way it's all laid out. Bochum, I think, is a special place. I think everybody should go to Bochum if they get the chance. I think it's, um, uh, I'm not going to say a one-off, but the, again, there's something just very convivial and passionate about that place. I would also probably add, and this would be in no particular order, what I find when people ask me this question, I find it changes according to sort of what mood I'm in that day, because I think different uh, venues in Germany are akin to giving us different moods and different vibes. But um, one that I think is, is seriously underrated, I think it's terrific for atmosphere, is Eintracht Frankfurt. You know, I think it, um, it, it always delivers, and people who go there always say to me, my goodness, that is, that is some place. They really make a lot of noise, don't they, in the, in the curva there? And, and I think that's absolutely true. I would probably say one of the ones that I went to for the first time, not all that long ago, two, three years ago, would be on the list, and that would be Dynamo Dresden. Uh, which I think is, uh, again, you know, very steeply banked um, stands and, and terrace and noisy, uh, really noisy. And, and I'd been warned about that. People said, you, you're going to get a buzz from that place. And I certainly did. So, yeah, Dynamo Dresden would be on the list there. And I think you can go up and down. I, I don't think there's one, you know, even people sort of sometimes um, say the Allianz Arena doesn't have great atmosphere. And it certainly wouldn't be up there with, you know, the Zignali Duna Park, of course, we've got to mention as well, the Westfalenstadion in Dortmund. Uh, of course, uh, you know, that I've always said that's the one place if I could choose a place to do my last commentary to bow out. So that would be the one I would choose because, uh, because again, I was one of the first I went to in Germany. But then it wasn't quite as atmospheric as it is now. It didn't have the big crowds that you get now, for example, because it was a different landscape in the 80s. But um, that does have a, a soul, you know, a real uh, soul. Same in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, and again, I go back to the old Parkstadion days, you know, and that was just a, uh, you know, you know talk, talking earlier about terracing, that was just a stadium that had seemed to have a lot of terracing and not much else, and you would get soaked watching the game um, if you were out in the open, as, as most people were. Same in Gladbach at uh, the, the Stadion before they... Uh, the Borussia Park came into being. So I, I think it, you could really go up and down and you guys would probably come up with, with seven others that are, are all um, similarly moving experiences. I mean, St. Pauli, of course, has its own uh, vibe as well, you know, its own very unique vibe. And, and that is a, a show, but not a, you know, a choreographed show. That's sort of an organic show when you go to, to, uh, to Pauli to watch a game. So I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's been interesting for me because I sort of grew, grew up experiencing a lot of this on my own. And I had nobody really in the English language world to talk to about it, you know, because 
again, this was pre-internet. People didn't travel as much in the 80s. You know, it wasn't like your generation where I see a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I'll go to Germany for a game or I'll go to, you know, Italy for a game or I'll, I'll do it. You know, my generation didn't do that. It, it just was not something that, that people really thought about doing. And there wasn't this wider knowledge of football in other countries. So I was essentially talking to myself about Gladbach or about Dortmund or about Schalke uh, or just with German friends. That, that, that was it. Um, whereas now it, it's become a, a shared experience, which I'm delighted about. I'm delighted that younger people now can do this. And of course, it's part of uh, the mission of the Bundesliga and really sort of what I'm part of with the, the DFL's World Fee, trying to, if you like, spread the gospel of the Bundesliga, making it the league to follow uh, and, and putting forward to a wider public this idea of football as it's meant to be. And that, you know, is with terracing, it's with passionate fans, it's less with the, the corporate aspects that maybe have crept in more in, in English football, let's say. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that because, like, obviously, I'll, I'll say I'm an FC fan, but at the same point, I think as a foreigner looking into German football, it's hard not to like every team in some aspect or the whole league in some aspect. You can't, I would. I could watch any game in the Bundesliga as Vitaliga or Drittaliga if I wanted to. I just there's something there's, there's just something that draws you to it. Um, I just to kind of link that with how would you really describe the kind of differences for German football and Scottish football? Because I know they're completely different kind of styles, but like I think there's some kind of similarities. Like, would you kind of agree with that in some aspect? Especially like even not even just on the park, just everything altogether. Because we spoke about stadiums. Obviously, I think that we have similar. Like, obviously. Scottish football is getting bigger with their stadium atmosphere. I think recent in recent times, some clubs are getting there. Uh, but obviously, just kind of from all aspects, not just like maybe on the park. Yeah, I think there's some crossover. I mean, I think Scottish football is, I mentioned, you know, this corporate thing that I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's one of the things I notice when I'm in England and I'm, you know, increasingly not in England very much nowadays, but I was, I lived in England for uh, almost a decade prior to 2017. And I definitely saw this in England much more than in Scotland because I was living in London, but coming up to Scotland every week to to broadcast the SPFL premiership matches for BT Sport. And uh, you certainly noticed a difference when you went to Scotland. There was more of a sort of a warts and all quality uh, about it in Scotland. I think in Germany, I would say it's kind of more a halfway house. I think that there is I think there is more professionalism in Germany. I think the way it is run in Germany has professionalism surrounding it in a way that can be more of a hit or a miss in Scotland. I don't mean to be disparaging by that, but I think sometimes in Scotland, especially when you, you know, and I read them from afar nowadays, the debates about structures and about how things are organized, it seems to sometimes just take on a life of its own. And I have to be honest with you, I, I think there are probably two camps on this. I, I see a lot of um, Scottish fans who, seem to quite like the, the structural soap opera that exists around Scottish football. You know, that they s- sort of see it as an attraction that, oh yeah, what's going to happen today? Which team which team's going to vote for this and which team's going to vote for that? I- I'm actually turned off by that, I have to be honest with you. I-, I find that utterly boring. And maybe it's because I'm not part of that anymore. Maybe when I was living that day in, day out, out of necessity, maybe I found that more interesting. But in Germany, you, you don't find that so much. You don't find these sort of rifts between clubs and uncertainty about how something is going to be decided upon. You don't find that that happens quite as much. But I would agree with you. I, I, I think that, um, you know, the passion of, of both countries comes through with regards to football. And I always say to people here in the USA, I will say, because they have an idea that the English 
fans are the most passionate in the world. And I will say, I, I actually don't think that is true. And if you look at the statistics that there are, you know, far more English people who are not interested in football than in say Scotland or in Germany, that, that is my, my impression. So I think that comes through. And I think it's what Scots enjoy about going to German football. And I would say that, you know, I hear the same from German colleagues when they go to Scotland. And obviously the most visible examples are Celtic and Rangers because they are the biggest clubs with the biggest venues. And, you know, a, a few of the people who went uh, with Leverkusen to Ibrox just a few months ago, right before the pandemic. And, and obviously our, our lives were about to change just, you know, that very week. But um, they all said, you know, what a an amazing experience it was to, to be at a venue like that, that, that it did have its own dynamic. Same with uh, Gladbach when I covered them playing Celtic a few years ago in the uh, Champions League. And um, Max Eber, the um, uh, sporting director of, uh, of Gladbach, you know, he, he just was laughing, not just because they'd won the game, but he, he said, you know, to get to, to get to be here, to get to feel this is, is incredible. And, it, you know, it wasn't even Celtic Park at its absolute best that night. So I think that's where you find the kind of the, the dovetailing of the two of them. <clears throat> I think on um, the one thing I've noticed that uh, over the years that's different is, and this goes back to my early years uh, in Germany, I used to devour the newspapers. I, I would, you know, pick up five newspapers in the morning of all you know stripes and, and sizes and and types just because I, I was you know sort of a, a young obsessed um german student but um the one thing that i i picked up on early on was that uh, german writing about football was much more tactical than anything that we were getting in scotland and i'd have to say i think that's still the case i think if you read most i'm not saying that the writing is bad in scotland it's not but it's catering to the market in scotland and i, I you know in Germany, and, and you know this, um, you know, living in, in Köln, um, you know, you have a, a dedicated twice weekly magazine called Kicker, which um, everybody reads who's involved in football. And it goes to the nth degree in terms of tactics and technical things. <clears throat> in Scotland, we don't have that, you know, that there is no equivalent of Kicker. There is no twice weekly, um, you know, Bible, if you like, because I, I regard it as the Bible. It's what I spend you know two hours reading on a monday and two hours reading on a thursday and usually every single word you know um we don't have that so so i think our culture in scotland is a little bit different in that sense i, I think we are more into the, the sometimes i think we're more into the soap opera than we are into the actual football whereas in germany i don't think that is the case so much i think it's more about the actual what happens in the 90 minutes and a discussion of that rather than the off the field things becoming the main stories. I don't know if you guys would agree, but that's my impression. No, I 100% agree with that. Uh, just on kicker, that's how I'm trying to learn German at the moment is to read in kicker, just to point out that as Great. well. Um, Keep doing it. It's, it's, it's useful. It's, it's, it's such a good read as well when, when, when I find out that I can understand it. But on that, you know, the kind of sofa over thing, I, I was actually going, I was going to ask that question, but you've kind of already answered it. But I just feel like when you listen to, you know, maybe things like Sports Sound or something in Scotland, it's more about, did the referee do something wrong? But was there something wrong on, like, something happened? You know, I feel like, do you, is that different when you watch, like, kind of, like, um, just any German kind of uh, feed, um, like, when they speak after, like, the pundits and things like that? I just feel like mm. Scotland's quite negative about the game sometimes. Yeah. And maybe Germany's, like, I think the definitely are more tactical when they speak after the game. And there's usually, like, a... I, especially some of the games I've watched on, um, I've been on a sports show with like free 
uh, on German TV. There's been like Schweinsteiger's been there or Hitzelsberger, some big, big names been there to kind of talk tactically about the game. Do you think that's a big difference, like you said? Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you mentioned Thomas Hitzelsberger because until he took on his current responsibilities at Stuttgart, he was one of my regular co-commentators on the Bundesliga World Feed, especially for the big games, you know, the um, Klassiker or the Revier Derby. And um, you, you begin to listen to what these guys say. And same with Stefan Freund, who's somebody who, who nowadays I work with quite a lot on, on Bayern and Dortmund games for the World Feed. Um, they do come at it from a different angle. And, and, they, and I think in Germany, there has always been less fear about saying things that, uh, for some reason in, in Scotland, this is not just Scotland, I think it's the UK generally, there's been the idea that football is not anything scientific. So you just sort of bring it down to a, a fairly basic level so people will understand it. But the thing is, you know, so many people love the game. Why wouldn't you try to, to, to go up rather than down? Why would, wouldn't you try to aim higher in terms of... Um, in terms of trying to enhance people's knowledge. So I, I do think that's the case. I, I mean, the vocabulary has changed a lot. I mean, I remember in, in Germany in the 80s, you know, people would talk about, uh, you know, Mandekung was everything, Mandekung, you know, which is basically, um, you know, man-to-man -man coverage kind of thing, you know, basic sort of defensive coverage. They would also use this word, which actually comes from um, North American ice hockey, forechecking. And you'll still hear German pundits who grew up in that era. Listen, next time you, you switch on German TV, you'll hear sometimes people talking about forechecking. And this is a word that doesn't exist at all in, in Scottish English or even English English, but it obviously was sort of, imp so, so th there are these different influences that come into it. Um, but I, I've always, it's one thing I've always said to pundits I've worked with, to co-commentators uh, when I was working for BT Sport, and they would often ask for advice, you know, the ones who were doing it for the first time. And I would always say, use your knowledge, because I think that, you know, you, you, you talk to players, as a broadcaster, you talk to ex-players and managers off air. And some of the things that you hear from them, you sort of go, hang on, why aren't you saying this on the air? You know, because then they go on the air and sometimes it becomes all sort of, you know, dumbed down and evened out. And, and, and I've had this conversation with a few, I won't name names, but I've had this conversation with a few of them. And the answer has often been, um, do you think people want to hear that kind of stuff? And I would say, yeah. Yeah, we have a thirst for information, you know, and there, it's almost as though there are two languages sometimes. There's the language that's reserved for the dressing room and for people who they think will understand it. And then there's the kind of the game of two halves, um, you know, rubber the green, uh, boy done good kind of, you know, cliche stuff that you often hear on TV. And I think in Germany, that's less the case. I think, you know, when you listen to if you listen to Bastian Schweinsteiger, doing his analysis on, on national TV, or if you listen to, say, uh, Lothar Matthäus on, on a Sunday doing his stuff for, for Sky Deutschland, or, or any of the pundits like that, you, you are hearing it analyzed differently. And um, I think that leads to, to better understanding, because, I mean, let's face it, you, you know, Scotland has had some of the, the brightest tactical minds in the world, you know? I mean, we, that, that's a fact. But um, I think there's not, I think it's, all, it's all also the sort of idea that you should keep secrets, you know, that you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to give it away, you know. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit strange, you know, just listen to any 
press conference by a German coach, or doesn't have to be German, but a Bundesliga coach prior to a Bundesliga match. Compare and contrast that with what you hear in Scotland. In Scotland, it's more tight-lipped, you know? They're, they're almost, apart from basic information about who might be injured, they're almost useless in Scotland. You don't really get anything out of it that um, it would be interesting. Whereas, you know, in, in Germany, there might be a discussion about the merits of switching in game from a 3-4-3 to a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1. And the coach will answer that and, and we'll talk about it. Um, mention that in Scotland sometimes and you'll get strange looks. And, you know, you're, you're talking about something that should be reserved for the dressing room. You know, we don't want to give you information about that because we might be feeding info to the opposition. I guess you see that with... With Dortmund, they post like the day before the game. They actually post a predicted lineup on Twitter. You never yeah. get that over here, and you get no. more like team news information in the press conferences you see on Twitter um, with the different coaches. But I think as well when you talk about that kind of extra information drilling down, do people want to hear that? I think they definitely do because when you see like football documentaries like the Tottenham Man City and Dortmund ones on Amazon Prime, um, they're always like huge talking points, and I think a lot of people who and they digest a lot of football. They want to hear that extra information that's behind the scenes that you don't usually get. And that's why stuff think, over here, probably Monday Night Football and Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher are doing that. It's probably the most popular because they go, they do go into it more tactically and they kind of drill down into information you don't usually see. So there's definitely a hunger for it. So I think commentators should definitely do that and kind of go into things that you don't usually expect to hear or see little tactical tweaks that they notice doing is kind of really interesting say that people want to know more about well it's a good point and i always say to so again to new co-commentators the first thing i will say is um if you are repeating what i have just said then you're not doing it right um because my job as a commentator is primarily to identify to give context to what's happening but the co-commentator comes at it from a totally different angle because they have experience the like of which i i don't have i mean i've never been on the pitch uh, I've not managed a club. Uh, I'm a commentator who, you know, hopefully has the right words for the occasion, hopefully not overusing them, hopefully providing a, 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 a you know, a, a soundscape to the game that blends in rather than overpowers. But the job of the co-commentator is to say why. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying what. His job is to say why. Why did that happen? Why are why is Team X really struggling in midfield? Why are they being opened up with these you know long balls over the top? You know why is this happening? And they all know why because they've all been there. But it's just a matter of of sort of changing the habits of a lifetime. I think with with all British pundits, not just Scottish, and um, getting away from this idea of of, of keeping secrets you know in in the dressing room and sharing with the public because it's going to be a more compelling thing to watch if people have an understanding as to what's going on rather than just talking in sort of banal cliches all the time yeah obviously a big thing about your relationship with german football is your affinity to fc Köln. Mm. Uh, so how did that come about perhaps controversial because my favorite German team are actually first in the Sotor. So ah. I, know you're quite I know you're quite interested in the, the derby uh, between yeah. those two sides as well, because obviously there's such a rivalry between the two cities. I mean, I've been to both stadiums and I, I spoke to fans at both games and you definitely got the impression that there was not only a dislike of the other club, but the other city as well when it's people. So maybe if you talk about how who you got into Cologne and 
why you think the derby is so interesting. Yeah, so I'll answer the first bit um, to begin with about how I got into Kern. Uh, in traveling around Germany, I realized there was something different about Kern, that it was not your typical German city. Not that there is a typical German city. They're all different in their own ways. But I realized there was a sort of a joie de vivre about Kern, that it had different aspects to it. It was a little bit warmer than other cities. You know, it had a, you know, it has a different... Um, use of language as well you know uh, you can you can pretty much um you can hear so i can hear somebody and go oh yeah that's that's a kerner or a kerner and i i know by the by the words that he or she just used there um and it's um of course it was tied to the fact that they were a, they were a good team they weren't always the best team at that time but they were a good team to follow they were a great side to watch and one of my early maybe not early but maybe sort of teenage years football heroes was Pierre Lidbarski, who was a star of the West German national team at the time and also happened to play for Kern. And when I saw him interviewed, I sort of thought, oh, this guy's really classy, you know? And um, so, so that was kind of how that started with, with Kern. And it, you know, it, it, it's picked up more in recent years. Uh, as I say, in the last sort of decade or so, I, I've spent a lot more time in Kern and got to know the place even more. And, and when you have that relationship with a particular city, then you sort of feel, yeah, this, this just fits. And, and I like the fact that they, they do their own thing. You know, they, they, uh, the club, um, the slogan they use is, is Spürbar Anders. You know, you can feel the difference. You know, they have a, a goat for a mascot, for goodness sake. You know, that's just one example. They, of course, have the, the, the most loved um, anthem of any club in Germany, and it happens to be derived from Loch Lomond that we all know, even though if you talk to FC fans, they, they don't really know about the Loch Lomond connection. They just I'm know it as their, as their anthem. It's been really difficult because every time I speak yeah. as an FC fan and they say, oh, your, your song is Loch Lomond. They're like, no, it's not. No, they, 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 they really don't know. And, and maybe people of my age might know because Ron Rigg had a hit with Loch Lomond back in the, the 1980s. But most younger people just know it as the, uh, as the FTC anthem, which is extremely catchy and, and it's brilliant and it gives you goosebumps listening to it. But um, so that's kind of the genesis of that. Now, with Köln and Dusseldorf, I always say it's a little bit. It's actually quite a lot like Glasgow, Edinburgh in Scottish terms. You know, Glasgow and Edinburgh are, you know, oil and water a little bit and and it's always going to be the case and you know if you think about the distance between Köln and Dusseldorf it's about the same in terms of how far they are geographically um, Dusseldorf I think uh, if I would put it this way it's the capital of, of NRW Nordrhein-Westfalen um, huge you know state in the west and Dusseldorf kind of has a lot of qualities that Köln doesn't have I, I would say that Dusseldorf is posher than Köln uh, I would say that it does have this kind of sort of feeling of, of being the capital and being the sort of the hub of, of where sensible decision making takes place. And Köln is a little bit of the outsider and it sort of looks up at Dusseldorf and goes, ah, those, those posh idiots up there. You know, I'm exaggerating it a little bit, but, but that's kind of the difference. Um, I think Köln is a bit earthier than Dusseldorf. You know, I think that I mentioned this sort of joie de vivre earlier. I think it's a little bit warmer. I think that uh, Dusseldorf, I'm not saying Dusseldorf is cold at all, but I mean, warmer in terms of personality, not, not weather. The weather is the same. Um, but, and of course, you know, you could even extend it to things like, uh, like beer, you know? Um, so in Dusseldorf, people drink Alt, which, um, 
which is good. I mean, I'll, I'll drink Eilt occasionally, but only in Dusseldorf. I, I would never be seen drinking it in Köln. And that would be a, a tip to anybody who goes to the two cities. Don't ever try uh, ordering Eilt uh, in, in Köln. That will not get you very far. Um, and then, and, and of course, in Köln, it, it's Kirsch, which is a, a very different kind of beer. Uh, it's probably more like pale ale, more like uh, UK pale ale, whereas Eilt is a darker uh, beer that somebody told me they're actually made in a similar way that the the brewing methods are actually quite similar but you do get two very different kinds of beer and i know some people who um from the uk from scotland who've gone and said they prefer Eilt. they just like Eilt. maybe it reminds them more of the sort of the beers you get in you know edinburgh you know Belhaven, things like that uh i don't know but um so anyway, that's just to kind of describe the, the differences. But what I would say rivalry-wise is, yes, okay, Fortuna Dusseldorf, you always want to beat. But the rivalry for Köln fans is with Gladbach. And that, of course, goes back to the 70s. It goes back to the time when Gladbach were one of the best teams in Europe. Köln, as I said, won the title. First year of the Bundesliga, again in 78, the, the Bundesliga title. And it's just up the road. Gladbach is, you know, less than an hour driving. And that is the, the derby. You know, that is the derby that there are other derbies. Dusseldorf is certainly a big one when they are in the, the same division uh, as Köln. Leverkusen should be one, but it's really not. You know, Leverkusen are, are obviously a better football team than Köln at the moment and have been for, for recent years, you know, going back over recent years. But um, the one that really gets hearts pumping amongst uh, fans of Köln, as, as we often say, uh, is... Um, is the uh, the the Rheinische Derby with Borussia Mönchengladbach? It's quite strange because I've stayed in that area a couple of times, and the impression you get from sort of all the clubs in that area is Köln is probably the club they dislike the most. Yeah, oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Gladbach and Leverkusen would probably all consider Köln to be the uh, biggest rivals. And even when I went to Schalke, their fans said how much they hated Köln as well. I don't know if that's because, obviously, there's the friendship between Köln and Dortmund, uh, but you definitely get the impression that Köln is maybe the side that uh, those clubs see as their greatest rival in the, the I, match I, day. That the yeah, I think it, it possibly comes down to the fact that, um, as I mentioned earlier, Köln, you know, for the last 20-plus years, um, have not been amongst the leading lights in German football. But the fans kind of still carry on as though that is the case. You know, that there is a... It's, it's, it's maybe a slight exception to the sort of the soap opera rule. There is a soap opera around Kern. I mean, I mean, there is undoubtedly that on a day-to-day basis. And I think sometimes that can be to the detriment of what happens uh, on the pitch. But that, I think, is part of the attraction. It's, you know, this, this large city. And if you think about it, um, you know, there is no other team really to support based on your heritage, based on your history, based on what the history of the club is all these things kind of come into play and it's a community thing and there's a rallying around and there's also great pride in Kern. I, I think it's the one and, and I encourage people to do this. If you ever go to Kern, people listening, and again, we're talking normal times and goodness knows when that's going to be again, but um, there is every day uh, a free guided tour you can go on in English and they'll take you around the city 
and lasts about two and a half hours. It'll end at one of the breweries and you'll get all the history about Kirsch and all that kind of stuff. But it's free. And um, you, you arrive there at lunchtime and you'll hear all about it. And, and what you'll hear really in that tour is you'll hear about the pride people have in Köln. It's kind of unlike any other city that there, there is almost a kind of a, um, I'm not going to say a, a, a move towards Köln's independence of Germany. I'm not going to go that far. It's nothing like that. Um, but there certainly is a kind of a feeling that, that we are, we are sort of slightly different, you know, and we have our own proud traditions. And part of that is FC. Uh, you know, part of that is is the, the football club, even though we might not be the best. And even though, yeah, Leverkusen, just a, a few kilometers up the road, they have far better facilities. They're able to attract players, even some of our own, even Florian Wirtz, um, who was with Köln until relatively recently and now is a, a, a young star making his way with Leverkusen. And, and you have Gladbach, yeah, and they're going to be the, the, the rivals. But it's the one thing that does... Um, I, I think affect everybody who's a resident of Köln. This knowledge that you are, yeah, you're part of Germany, you're part of NRV, but you're also from Köln, and it, and it's important. Yeah, I, I've um, I've been coming here for about seven years now, but I've only lived here since during the pandemic. Um, bit of a strange decision, but we'll we'll gloss over that part. Uh, but I totally agree with that, and it's really refreshing just to see and on a match day when things were slightly normal in Germany in um, kind of September time. On a match day, the, the, it be, even with a pandemic on, there was still kiln shirts everywhere. You were seeing people in the pubs with their kiln shirts on. I know you can't have a colours in a, a pub in Scotland, but at the same time, it was really depressing to see. And I grew up in Paisley, there's a Smurren fan. I would see more Celtic and Rangers shirts than a, a Smurren shirt in Paisley in, in our town. So I, I find that very depressing. And I, that, I totally agrees with your point that Kiln are very, they're very proud people, but they're very proud of the club as well. No matter yep. if they're high or low, I, I really, I think that's a, it's a really special thing, and that's, a, I think that's why I kind of hung on to them, and they became my kind of my thing. And um, I don't, know, I've got obviously sports in there, and I seem to support teams that don't do particularly well. Uh, although this season, a wee bit better. Um, so I think I've got that yep. in clubs who. Just like to hang about the bottom and bit yo yo, um, but yeah, I totally agree with that. I love um, the the proudness of Kelsh people. So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I think you've said it very well, and and I think that is undoubtedly the case. And you know, these days you don't support Kern because you're you're into the the glamour or the glory. You do it because you feel part of that community, intrinsically part of it, and long may that continue. So and we'll bring back a wee segment in the podcast we've not done for a wee while, actually. I don't think we've done since Colin's been here, but we'll go into the Twin Towns, and I think it's a special one considering Derek's here, because obviously you're, you're from Aberdeen, Derek, and Aberdeen and Regensburg have got a, mm-hmm. a, a Twin Town link. I just wonder if you've got any like kind of information on that link at all, if, if there's any similarities to Aberdeen and Regensburg as a, as a town, city, you know, and even, obviously, the team's playing the same colours, but is there any similarities to the teams as well? Well, to go to the, the twin town arrangement, first of all, it's actually very long-standing. It goes back to the early 1950s, and it was the first such arrangement for Aberdeen and Regensburg after the Second World War. And, you know, that was obviously quite symbolic, and it was seen as a very beneficial thing for both communities at the time. And I remember as a young boy, one of the highlights that we had every year in the 70s was we had um, what they called Regensburg Week. And that would essentially mean that people from Regensburg would come to Aberdeen. There'd be all these, you know, sort of, you know, German beer 
um, mini festivals. There'd be, you know, Bavarian culture. Regensburg's way out in the eastern part of Bavaria near the, the Czech border. And um, I loved it. You know, obviously, I, I was going to love it. I was going to be the sort of kid who loved that. Um, it, it sort of has fallen on harder times recently. I don't think there's quite the same emphasis on it, which is a shame because I think that the two communities should be celebrating something that was um, decided upon in the immediate aftermath of the, the horrific Second World War experience. Um, so I, I'd never been there, funnily enough. It was a place because of, look, you know, if you look on the map, you'll see it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily easy to get to, although that's actually easier than you might think from Munich Airport. You can be there in an hour and 10 minutes by train from Munich Airport. But I'd always heard that it was beautiful. So a few years ago, I went there and I made it coincide with Jan Regensburg playing at home against Kreuter Fürth in the second division. And I just bought my ticket and, and went to the game. And Jan Regensburg are relatively new to the second division. Uh, they've been a team much further down the divisions. And I sort of thought to myself, this is crazy. You know, that th there should be a link up between Aberdeen and Regensburg. I mean, they are twin cities. And um, so I, I wrote an article because uh, I occasionally do an article for the Aberdeen Match program uh, just on anything that, that I fancy writing about. And I thought this is a good one. So I you know, took all pictures of the city and the stadium and everything. And initially there was you know, some interest from fans who thought this is a no brainer. We should be doing something like this. Um, but then, you know, some other Aberdeen fans sort of chimed in and said, no, we already have sort of unofficial ties with uh, teams here and teams there. And uh, Dinamo Berlin was one that was mentioned because they played in Europe in the 1980s, even though, you know, that was a long time ago and it was a, it's a different Dinamo Berlin nowadays. Um, but um, there's a young lad called Dennis uh, who, who follows me on Twitter who said hello to me that night because he saw my tweet that I was, I was going to the game. And he's actually taken up the course for himself. He's, he's a, a very dedicated young um, student. And, and he's made this his mission. He, he would like to, he's a Jan Regensburg fan, obviously. And he would like to bring the two communities together. So I think it's something that needs work. Uh, these things, I suppose, really have to happen organically. You can't sort of superimpose that from on high. But I think that um, a good move would probably be for this to happen, first of all, at um, local government level, you know, for the, the, the to make it part of the sort of the annual celebrations. And maybe it's something that, that could happen after the pandemic. Maybe it's something that people would... I'm a great believer that, that if and when the pandemic ends, then more simple pleasures might be things that are enjoyed by and appreciated by, um, by communities more. You know, I, 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 this is just my opinion. I, I, I don't want us to get back to the old normal. I, I would actually like us to get to a better normal that, that sometimes emphasizes, um, you know, more simple things and, and things that, that currently we, you know, we don't have that we used to take for granted. And I think that's one thing. I, as a young person, I loved the Regensburg week. I thought it was exceptional. It was brilliant. And it was a little window, again, a different era, but a window into a different culture that, that we weren't part of back then. So um, if you could do that and extend it to football clubs, then, then what's the, the harm in it? I mean, imagine if, if Aberdeen had a Regensburg week, you know, and said, yeah, we're going to invite some fans over from Jan Regensburg and, and Jan Regensburg did the same. I mean, it's a simple thing to do. Uh, it costs very little and you get a lot more in terms of the, the marketing and publicity aspects out of that. And it maybe becomes an annual tradition. So that is sort of my idea, but so far the, 
Regensburg have not seemed to be that interested in it because they are, you'd have to say, a very provincial, um, regional club. And, you know, possibly if you were to look at all the second division teams in Germany, they probably have the, the lowest reach of any of those clubs. But, you know, I sort of look at that and think, well, here's something that you could do that would actually put you on the map somewhere else. Why would that be bad? But as I say, they've got to want to do it. And um, so it's, you know, the idea has been hatched, but it's up to them. Definitely. I mean, I think I think this the whole thing's really cool. That's why we started doing it. Um, we've done mm. a couple like um, Dundee and Vosburg, uh, Augsburg and Vaness. Just trying to maybe, yeah, because I think there's a, there's a, I think there's a big um, kind of not like pool for Scottish people to go into to like German football, but I think it's quite easy for us to latch onto it because I think a lot yeah. of Scots tend to forget about English football and. Obviously, Scottish football is great. We're all very passionate, but there's always that extra level you want to watch. So I think that for me, it was German football. And I, I think the trying to, to pull people in and maybe try, like someone from Vernes might not have ever heard of Augsburg before, you know, Forsberg, mm, yeah. Paisley and Forth, um, you know, things like that. We were, so we're trying to see if it can open people to maybe a different club that's not supporting like Bayern or Dortmund or things like this. So this kind of current era where... The, the teams are like we mentioned earlier about Köln, like the teams have got the, the, the money and the, the players and the, the popularity of players are more easily attainable to go and watch than yeah. like I would rather watch Freiburg against Augsburg than many other games, obviously. But I think that's just myself and Colin as well. But um, yeah, I think, I think it'd be really cool to try and get something going where Scottish teams and German teams can kind of join together and become a wee kind of unity and things like you know Regensburg week and Aberdeen I think that'd be really cool I would even go no but I, I think people can be creative that way and I, when I was living in the UK I tried to do this actually knowing that I had quite a lot of American followers on Twitter um, I tried to get American fans interested in Scottish football back then and uh, it was amazing how many um, latched onto that and said oh yeah you know can you give me some suggestions so I would just sort of throw it out to, to fans and say okay here's Here's, uh, you know, Buddy in, in Dallas. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a football fan. He likes this team or this team, but he really wants a Scottish team to follow. You know, tell him why you should make it your club. And people were very creative with their suggestions about that, you know. And, uh, I for, you know, um, I remember there was one guy who, and to this day, I think is now, I think he set up a club who's a Ross County fan. And it's purely because his last name is Ross. <laughs> uh, guy in America, and and he's I think he's now the he's set up his own Ross County uh, fan club in in western part of the USA. So I think if you can do that, you can do the same with with German clubs, and it's obviously a bit closer to home. And again, in normal times, it's easier for a Scottish fan to to go to Germany for a weekend, and um, and and I think that that is what probably will happen again once we we get back to our our new normal. Yeah, um, and you mentioned that, but like, I think um, it's become a quite a tradition for a like German football weekend for kind of the lads, yeah. or, you know, to go away. What would um, before we jump into the quiz and stuff like what what would you recommend? Maybe not NRV because that seems to be where everyone goes to like flies to Dusseldorf and goes around NRV. Would you suggest any other yeah. like weekends that would be a good shout to to see a couple, try and see a couple of teams? Well, I think NRV is, is a logical starting point just because, as you said, you can fly to Dusseldorf. You have so many options around you that that does, 
that does work particularly well. Um, I think you can, you know, you can look at um, the one we've just been talking about. If you can, if you can manage to tie in a Bayern game, uh, hard to get ticket, but a Bayern game at the Allianz Arena and, and Jan Regensburg, then that's one that you, you can consider as well. Um, you know, if you look at the middle of the country, you, you have your options there. You know, if you, if you look at the, the Frankfurt area, you're always going to have Frankfurt and Mainz, uh, one of them at home. Uh, you've got Wiesbaden, um, you know, right next door there as well, uh, playing in the, the second division. Um, I, you could, you know, I, I think just depends... I think you could find a region of the country and do that, um, you know, for any region of the country. But I would say NRV is probably the, the easiest because uh, you tend to have these options of a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in one league or another. Uh, definitely. That's, I think that's where we all kind of start to go, except Ronan, yeah. Ian Colin, kind of started coming to NRV and finding different clubs to go to the other week because there's so many yeah. clubs here. It's amazing. Uh, even the lower leagues as well. But um, yeah. Colin, will we? Jump into the. You can take over. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm not so, always good at quizzes, so we'll see how this goes. Oh, I like this one. You'll probably like this one. Uh, so, yeah, we usually do a feature at the end of every episode, which is a usually it's uh, one of the hosts quizzing the other two. Uh, so, this week the theme is FC Köln. Yep. So the way it's going to work is I've got twelve questions. And mm-hmm. each of you will take a turn. So I'll give you the first question, Derek, as a guest. Yeah. And if you get it wrong, then Roy has the chance to jump in and deal the point for the answer. If Derek doesn't know, so... I'm not going to know. <laughs> just just point out. <laughs> it's definitely not going to work. <laughs> More the pressure that if you don't get yours, then Derek will probably jump in and steal it. Exactly. Um, let's, let's see how it goes. You never know. This this could go any which way. I was about to say, I might just have to like forget the fact I'm an FC fan after this. Just lose everything. Nothing right. Nothing right at all. No one, no one will judge you if you get them wrong. I'll, I'll judge myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you mentioned earlier that Köln are very famous for their goat mascot. So they've had Hennis since 1950. But what current Addition are they on with Hennes? They've had multiple uh, goats. So the, the current the current Hennes is Hennes the ninth, I believe. That's correct. Good start. So I lucky. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> right here we go. So, first the FC Köln became FC Köln in what year? So they, they were formed after a merger between two other clubs. What was the year? 1948. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I've got one at least. Well done, Roy. Uh, it's in the background somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, uh, when was Köln's last major honour? What year? Um, we're going back to the DFB Pokal and I'm going to say that was. 1983. Yes, that's right. So that's 2-1. So next question, Roy. Where, at what stadium did Köln win promotion to the Bundesliga in 2019? So where did they secure promotion? Oh. Under interim coach Andre Pavlak. I've got two in mind. 
Oh no, that's, 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 it wasn't at home. Right. I'm trying to think at the end of the season. Who who did they play towards the end of that season? I feel like it was at, like this is this is good enough. This is not an answer, but it's after the game that they drew at Union. It's after that, I'm sure. But I can't remember where it was. Oh. It was actually I think I mentioned that uh, yesterday, my my, my 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 game the the game that I went to, the Cologne game was the Darmstadt game. Yeah. Which they lost. That was Anfang's last game. So it was the game after that. Oh. Oh, I'm just going to have to plant, I guess. Wiesbaden. Was it Wiesbaden? No. It wasn't. Oh, is it? Don't say it was anyone after me saying that and saying it wasn't my answer. Give Derek the chance to jump in there. Um, well, I, I remember Marcus Anfang leaving, and uh, it's strange. I, I remember I remember getting thrashed by uh, Jan Regensburg mm. right at the end of the season, but by then promotion was secured. Um, but I can't remember the exact game under Pavlak. Um, We'll take a guess and say Dresden. It was Greuterfurt. Ah, okay. It was a way though, wasn't it? Definitely. Yeah, it was a it was a way to I think they won maybe I think they scored four. I can't remember. Mm. Okay, two ones still. So off to Derek for the next question. So at home so uh Kuln's first Bundesliga relegation was in 1997-98, but how many relegations in total have they had from the Bundesliga? Um, I think it's six. Yeah, it could be right. wrong. Yeah, there's six. Yeah. It makes you feel so much better as an FC fan. It's only been six times. <laughs> it's just all <laughs> been in the one, the one region. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it. I when know. I read that, it's like six relegations since the late 90s. That's yeah. Not too bad. <laughs> so, uh, Roy, obviously we, we talked about twin towns, but Cologne has a twin town in the UK. Which city is the twin city of Cologne? It's not in Scotland. I'm trying to think if there's a sign anywhere. Um, I, I generally have no idea. Um, oh. I'm assuming it's in England. Um, I have no idea, so I'm just gonna guess. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. So I, I bet it's someone really daft, like really daft town that you wouldn't think it is, and it's not like a, a big city. But it probably should be. Um, okay. I'm, um, it's not, but I'm just going to say Liverpool. That is, that is. It is, it is. <laughs> That's a total guess. Well done. Well done. It is. I'll take that. That's okay. Okay, guess. So, uh, next one to Derek. So, which, what year did the latest round of renovation finish in the stadium? The latest round. So, not the, not, we're not talking the, the, we're not talking the the 
when the Rheinenergiestadion came into to being as such, we're, we're talking about just to be just to clarify, because because yeah, I remember yeah, right yeah, before right before two thousand and six, um, right before yeah, two thousand five Confed Cup yeah. was when basically the Müngersdorf became the Rheinenergiestadion. There have been some reno- minor tweaks since then, but oh, I don't right, know. Right. So, yeah, sorry, it's it's when it became the Rheinenergiestadion. Okay, so it became the Rheinenergiestadion. Um, my guess on that would be because I was I was there that right right around that time. Two th- thousand and four. That's great. It was the year before because uh, I because I knew I knew I was there for the Confed Cup in 05, so it would have been the year before. So okay. So, uh, Roy, so uh, Köln beat Arsenal in the Europa League in 2017, but who scored the winner? Ah, Cordoba. Cordoba? No. What? Oh, wait, the, uh, that was the one they lost. Oh, no. It was, it was Sorensen. Yeah, not Sorensen? No. No. Defender, though. I watched the game of evidence. I remember not watching, but sorry, Derek, Derek, you can steal. So, so, the, so who, 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 who scored the goal against Arsenal in the Europa League? Is that, is that the question? The win, yeah, in the win against Arsenal. In, in 2017, whenever that was. 2017, yeah. 2017. Yep. Who scored the win? Uh, who scored the goal on that win? Um, ba, ba, ba. And we know it wasn't, so I have the advantage, I know it wasn't Cordoba. <laughs> um, I think I know now. Damn. I'm going to say Marcel Risse, but I think it's wrong. It's Gerasi. Yeah, Gerasi. Ah, yeah. You got a penalty. Yeah. Because he didn't score Yeah, Cordoba scored in the Emirates. In the away game, but the actual the match that they won, it was a Garassi penalty. That's why it's important to listen to the full question and not just jump in halfway through the question. <laughs> right, so that's next one. Next one for Derek. Uh, who is the club's record appearance holder in the Bundesliga? Just uh, for Bundesliga matches. Just for Bundesliga. Who is the club's record? Can sort of narrow this down, but um, just for Bundesliga, it's got to be somebody from that era. I'll say Tony Schumacher, but I don't know if it's correct. That's correct. I wasn't quite sure if, 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 because he he didn't spend his entire career there, but it was a long time, so I thought probably probably was a reasonable guess. Four hundred twenty-two matches. Yeah, he's yeah. not the total uh, record appearance holder, no. but for Bundesliga matches, yeah. Yeah. So the next one for Roy. In which year did Lucas Podolski make his club debut? Home debut. I just not his club just his club debut, debut for his first team debut. Um, can't remember what he does just now. 
Uh, well, again, I remember him bursting onto the scene 05 Confed Cup <clears throat> for Germany, and he'd, he'd been first team a little bit at that point, but not that long. Um, I am going to say 03, 2003. That's right. Why would I think he was that old? He can't be that old right now. I think he'd be, what would he be, mid-30s yeah, yeah. at this point? Yeah, mate, yeah. 35, maybe. Why did I think? Yeah. Like, I was thinking he's older. Oh, that's a nine. Yeah. So the current score is 6-2 to Derek, and we're going into the final round of So So uh, playing for a pride now, Roy. Playing for a pride. Yeah. Get to three. <laughs> <laughs> Roy's on the Aufholjagd, to use the German word. Aufholjagd. That's a good one for you. Aufholjagd. Yeah, I remember that one. The com- comeback oh, trail, yeah. comeback yeah. hunt. Derek's last question is um, which three Scottish sides have Cullen faced in Europe? Uh, definitely Celtic. Um, definitely Rangers, because I was at that one in 1988 or 9. Um, and then the other one, I think, and this is just jogging my memory, I think the other one is Dundee. As yeah, right. I've been trying. I think to Celtic was the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Celtic was ninety-three or something like that. Yeah, I've been trying to find. Yeah, but uh, I've been trying to find for ages a link between Sumerun and Kiln, and I found something other day <laughs> that uh, when Sumerun were in the UEFA Cup in eighty-six, they were obviously put out that horrible night against Hammerby at Love Street. The the next oh, yeah. round, Kiln put out Hammerby. So that's the only link I've so far mm. I found between Sumerun and Kiln. But, uh, <laughs> So we, we, we well, the, could have played the kill at some point. No, but the link, the link now is you. So yeah, well, that's, that's all. Yeah. That, I'm sure there's you, more. You're the link. <laughs> you're the link. There we go. That was, uh, just to bring that up, that was quite cool. Come on, last one. Right, so your last question, Roy. You better get this because Derek's definitely going to know this. Yeah, so Canadian defender Kevin McKenna played for Kiln and Hearts, but which other German club did he play for? Oh. I was hoping you were going to say what Scottish club we played for. <laughs> German oh, I'm going to assume it's around this area. Aachen? No. No idea. Derek? Yeah, I do know this one, actually. Uh, and in fact, he met his wife um, based on his time living in, in this particular part of Germany. So Kevin's first experience in Germany was with Energie Cottbus uh, in the eastern part of the country. And as I say, met his wife, and uh, but is very highly thought of in Köln, where he lives nowadays. So, yeah. We seem to have a strange thing with Energie Cottbus with quizzes, because we did, we had the guy, yeah. Eva and Matthew from this Vital League podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we did a quiz with them, and trying to guess players from which clubs they played for. And they all started Energy Cottbus accidentally. And now that's another one. Energy <laughs> Cottbus has come back to bite me. Oh, there we go. We had the, we had the, uh, to the Bundesliga uh, one as well. Like, we had to name all the clubs in the last 10 years. And I think we forgot two of them. We couldn't get two of them. And one of them were Energy Cottbus. And the other was one what, was like... Yeah. 
Okay. We're going to do an uh, bus special so we all cool. understand energy bus from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that, that was with Matthew and, and Aoife, I take it, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. with them on. That was, that was a good one. They do a great job. They're, they're really good. Yeah, I love that. It's good. We listen avidly to them. But yeah, but yeah so a defeat there, but I mean, I was expected. Well done, Derek. Um, no, thank you. You never know with quizzes. As I say, I, I sometimes it can just be the the question that you know or don't know. And uh, and well done with Liverpool. That was a really good guess yes. on the fly. A good guess. <laughs> so one of the things before we finish up, Derek, I wanted to to dash you um, was will back on in Bundesliga make its return? It was one of my favourite things over lockdown, especially when you were hoovering the house with your Aberdeen top on and you had you were singing the song. That was my favourite part. But will back in Bundesliga become a thing? Could it be a series? Could you could you get someone to pick it up? What are you thinking? I, I don't know. I don't know if the world is ready to, to have it picked up by anybody. I, I did it as a bit of fun, to be honest, at the start of the pandemic, realising people were at home and maybe wanted to understand the Bundesliga a bit better as it was the first of the leagues to come back. Thoroughly enjoyed doing it. I had a bit more time on my hands at that point, so I thought I could throw my lot into it. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I don't like doing something unless I can throw my lot into it. And I'm a bit busier with the other projects now. But um, I think it probably could come back on a sort of an occasional basis. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. It's obviously not quite as good in winter here because the, the scenery is not as nice. And it's, uh, and it's a bit cold in this part of the world in winter. And my iPad might freeze up halfway through it. But um, yeah, something we could, we could definitely look at. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's about trying to put smiles on people's faces. I think for all of us, I, I think the pandemic has affected different people in different ways. And um, as I say, I'm used to working on a solitary basis. So perhaps it hasn't affected me the way I know a lot of people are, are struggling right now. And, and I think we have to be appreciative of that. So anything we can do that makes life better for, for somebody, whether it's visually or audio wise or, or anything in written form, then I think we should do it. Oh, definitely, 100% my favourite thing of a lockdown. Loved it. Uh, <laughs> that's that's hopefully, very kind, Roy. Very, hopefully very you can bring it back at some point. Uh, just, just, just for, even just for me, yeah. that'd be great. Um, but, that could be arranged, yeah. Um, so, obviously, with the pandemic, how are how you keeping yourself busy? You're back on World Feed for Bundesliga, finally, which is great to hear. Um, and, obviously, you're, you're, you're working with FIFA and things like that. You're just trying to keep yourself plodding along. Yeah, I, I work with ESPN now as well, so that they have the rights to the Bundesliga here in the USA, and I have a previous association with ESPN over a number of years, so they approached me saying, would you like to come back and be our, our Bundesliga commentator for the games that are on linear TV? It's only a handful, but, but I do all them for ESPN, but the other part of it is I do a weekly column for them as well on the Bundesliga, and that's great fun. It's a good creative outlet, and it means I can I can say in the column um, what I don't get to say a lot of the time in other uh, forums. Um, but yeah, being back in the world feed is terrific and something that means a lot to me to be doing that. And obviously, as you said, um, the video games have been part of FIFA 19-2021. And that took up a big chunk of last summer, really in June and July. I did very little else. So, um, yeah, it's all fine. I, um, you know, here in the Boston area, uh, it's going to be a while. You know, I think it's going to be a long while, to be honest, before we can think about doing the things that we did uh, a year and a bit ago but um, you know I, I think other generations to be honest have have suffered uh, in worse ways so I, I you know would not try to diminish it I think it's a difficult thing for a lot of people as I said but um, I think we all have to get through it as best we can and I will say to people too this is a great time to learn a language you know because it's something that you, you do on your own uh, in fact you can do it best on your own 
And that was the one thing I said at the start of the pandemic. People say, well, what can I do to occupy my time? Learn a language. You know, there's never a better time. It's a couple of hours every day. And, uh, and before you know it, you'll be on your way. So there are other things we can do. And there's always consolation in, in, um, in finding things like that during a difficult time, which this is. Definitely. And will we ever hear you back in Scottish football? Or do you think you've had your time in Scottish football and you're, you're quite happy just over America doing your Bundesliga stuff? Do you think we'll ever hear you well, back? You never say never, um, but I, I doubt it, but you never say never. And to be honest with you, I probably doubted it last time as well, because I'd been away for best part of two decades and came back when ESPN gave me the chance to come back and then BT Sport. Uh, I think this time I'm, you know, I'm in my early 50s. I'm, I'm pretty settled with my life here. And I sort of feel that I've I feel I've done it. You know, I, I did want to go back because I, I felt I had some unfinished business in, in Scotland because I'd left so young. But, um, you know, who's to say on a one-off basis it might not happen? Uh, it, it's possible. Uh, I doubt that I'd be back on a sort of a permanent basis. But uh, as I said, you never say never. And, you know, Scotland is, is you know, I'm a Scot. And, and yeah. so I'm always going to be going back one way or another. Although, sadly, at the moment, that's not possible. But, uh but yeah, it'll always be part of me. And, you know, who's to say? You never know. No worries. Well, Derek, it's been a pleasure and a privilege to, to be speaking to you today. I think it's great to have you on the pod. I'm sure I speak for all three of us when I say it. Um, so thanks very much for joining us. It's been great chatting to you. Great chatting with all you guys. Thank you for having me. Best of luck with your endeavours and with the podcast and keep in touch. Right. Thanks very much, Derek. Right. So that was our special guest today, Derek Cray. Um, we'll be back from next week and we'll, we'll maybe look at some of the, the Bundesliga preview from this coming weekend um, for the match days and go look forward the next and maybe get some fantasy pitch back in. But for now, just everyone stay safe and we'll see you guys later. And Scotland!